Welcome to Horror Bites on Sabre, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I am Chief Rambler Neil Volt, and I am joined as usual by the smooth vocal tones of one Jay Krieger. That might be the best introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> well, I get to listen to it every week, so you know, it's a, there you go. I, I can say it with, uh, you know, 100% professionalism there, but that is the case. <laughs> Uh, so in this week's episode, we are making ourselves feel very old with two trips back to 1997, 25 years ago, you know, I was like a year from finishing school back then. You said 97, I was, yeah. you know, five. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm twice, I feel old twice. This is even better. <laughs> I should have probably just kept that to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably should have to be fair. Uh, so, yeah, both these games capture a little slice of 90s life, uh, a time when survival horror was born, and The X-Files birthed a whole new generation of obsessive conspiracy theorists, you know, certainly better than the ones we get nowadays, anyway. Um, but so, first up, Jay, is Eerie Enigma, and I'd like if you could please tell us what we're in for with this PSX horror. Sure. So Eerie Enigma is from developer Mohammed, who on Itch.io goes simply by Med. And in Eerie Enigma, it's a first person shooter in which you play as Detective Connor Novak, fantastic cop name, uh, yeah. who is investigating a series of disappearances near a strange mansion located in the woods. And upon arriving, the player realizes that there are monsters and ghostly apparitions that appear within the halls of the mansion. So if that description sounds very familiar to a uh, certain survival horror classic that's because eerie enigma is a reimagining of the original resident evil right so from the premise it clearly lines up with resi um, and when you're exploring the spencer mansion which has been i would say you know very impressively recreated uh within the confines of this short 15 20 minute experience um, it has definitely been faithfully recreated for the main hall. You've got the dining yeah. room and then you've got the uh, the art gallery, right? So it's not going to be the entire mansion. You're obviously exploring. That would be a massive undertaking. But even this brief slice of Spencer Mansion has been really, I think, lovingly been recreated. You get to explore that space in a first-person perspective this time as it has a first-person shooting as the main source of gameplay. Um, and... You know, I think right off the bat, something that I was wondering when I was playing this was like, okay, initially, I didn't realize this was going to be recreating the opening moments of Resident Evil. <laughs> and then I started thinking like, okay, I'm actually really on board with the idea of people approaching, you know, established games or series and whatnot and allowing players to not only revisit it or in some cases perhaps maybe somebody hasn't played Resident Evil getting to experience it for the very first time with a new perspective and seeing if there's a way for the developer to you know I'm not going to say like add a new layer to Resident Evil's legacy or to a pre-established uh, IP's legacy but I think that is there something worthwhile in taking something you know recreating something but giving it that new perspective mm. and whatnot um, and with this, I would think that to a certain degree, Mohammed is successful in doing that very thing. Um, I think that there is a good balance of not only, you know, utilizing the first person perspective and shooting, right? It even has uh, ADS for the handgun that you have and you encounter these monsters that run at you that are basically ghouls, uh, not the traditional zombies, but ghouls that have one of their arms is missing. They've got this crazy saw blade they chase after you with and whatnot, and they go down after a shot or two. But I think that, you know, between that, 
Then there's the puzzle side of things, which the one puzzle that you encounter early on is not all that memorable. It's like trying to find the right code so you can, you know, open this safe and get the key because, you know, of course it's a resi, uh, revisiting of resi. So what are you going to spend 90% of your time doing is finding keys <laughs> and being told the doors are locked from the other side. But there is a puzzle later on in the experience where I thought it showed real ingenuity in terms of understanding the ethos of Resident Evil and the puzzles and whatnot. And then having those clues play out in the environment um, rather mm. than necessarily like this sort of standard, oh, I'm going to go through all these journal entries and then decipher those. No, the environment itself has the clues. And that's that Katana puzzle at the very end of this experience. Yeah. Um, I think overall, you know, I have a great deal of nostalgia, obviously, for Resi. So getting to retrace those steps or those halls rather was uh, fun for me. And yeah. yet at the same time, Mohammed includes this sort of twist that's very unexpected because it's something that's not part of Resi, which is these portions when you're exploring the main hall where there is a ghost that will appear and you basically have to run from the ghost because you can't kill it. It will, And mm. these mostly confine you to the hall of the Spencer Mansion and you have to sort of survive for 20 seconds or so, yeah. um, you know. It's easy enough to outrun this ghost, um, but at the same time, you know, I liked that the developer didn't simply deliver an experience that was sort of just exactly Resident Evil, right? There's a few sort of twists of their own creativity that they can sort of uh, impart in this experience. A homage to some sort of alternate version, history version of Resident Evil. Yeah. yeah um, you know, as a personal sort of anecdote, when I was a child, I read a He-Man comic. Yeah, Masters of the Universe for the United States, I suppose. And, you know, I swore blind that I read it one time and the pages were different like that. And like the story was different mm. somehow. And, I, and yeah, I could never come back to that again. And being a child, I've already just dreamed it. But you know, it's still <laughs> like I swore blind that I must have seen some sort of alternate history version of where that human comic went. And in a way that kind of has that feeling here where it does feel like, is this just what they played in their dimension, you know, sort of thing? Yeah, sure. It, it's it's weird like that, but it, it I like that approach to it. You know, it, it really does do some wondrous things for it because everything else about it still has very much that atmosphere, that vibe. I mean, the voice acting is so very much yes. on the money yes. for, for <laughs> original Resident Evil. I love that about it. It's kind of a bit like, you know, had a deadly premonition vibe as well because mm. of that as well. So, yeah, and it's just, it, I mean, you, we were talking about this Spencer Mansion thing. You don't really notice it necessarily through it, but the second you go in, in there, that's it. It's like, yeah. holy shit, this is absolutely, it is designed in that way, you know, despite not having every single detail. It's got the key details the way you go, Spencer Mansion, instantly. And, and just shows, one, how iconic that building is mm. and that interior is, that, you know, original remake that you can always tell. And even the film. But yeah, to have it sort of this simplified version of it and it still really come across is, uh, you know, good design anyway. But um, yeah, it was just wonderful to see it done in that way. Well, I think that part of the reason why the reveal that Spencer Mansion is sort of jarring right from the outset is that they have that really fantastic transition where you're walking through the woods and then hmm. you start to see this like ethereal projection of a hallway and then it yeah. fades in and it fades out and you're kind of questioning the reality of the character and then all of a sudden you're in the halls itself. Like there's little touches to this game that I think do a good job of, you know, again, providing 
some unexpected parts of it for being largely, again, this re-exploration of the most iconic uh, building, you know, in in horror video games, right? Um, And I think that also what you had said about, you know, the the voice acting, um, I think that's right on the money, right? And I think that it gives the game this quality that almost makes it seem like it's... I don't know, akin to like bootlegs or something, you know, of yeah, like movies yeah, that you would see, you know, except that's not supposed to be, you know, uh, a put down on it or anything, but just the idea that it has the core identity of what it is being homage to, but it has these extra components to it that still yeah. feel right at home, even if they are very much out of place, whether it's the monsters, whether it's the voice acting, um, which at the same time, like you said, it is so perfectly camp to the degree that it's at home in Resi when he has that line. This is sickening. Like it's so matter of fact <laughs> and it lacks almost all inflection, but it is so perfect at what, you know, that B movie charm that we've talked uh, about plenty of times for Resident Evil. And yeah, I was really impressed with this, even if as with most of these types of experiences, the ending's a little flat for me. But I think yeah. overall, you know, when you're talking about recreating Spencer Mansion and giving it some surprises, it's not just this, you know, 100% trip down memory lane from a new perspective. It's actually a developer that's putting a little bit of their own creativity into it on top of that monumental task of just recreating what they did of Spencer Mansion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you say, it has it, you know, little issues. I, I think if you take it as a whole, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, which, sure. yeah, I, as much as Resi was daft in its day, it made sense at least, you know. Um, and maybe that's just a casualty of trying to be different. But, you know, I think in a landscape that has so many, um, short games that are trying to copy something or emulate it in some way, um, rare i've seen it done quite like this you know where it's, it just really does take the core of something unabashed unbrazen but then takes it in an entirely different direction i think that's the best surprise because you know i've come across plenty where you go ah oh, so this is supposed to be that game that game or that game and then doesn't really do much more than that you know the amount of five nights of Freddy clones on there for instance are, <laughs> yeah. uh, is <laughs> to this day it just keeps going and they all tend to be the same thing. It's just, this is Five Nights at Freddy's, but this. And this was, yeah, just remarkable in how it swang for something very different whilst keeping very much in the feeling and tone that it was going for. So, yeah, I, I think as a short experiment that does that, you've got, you know, full admiration for that. Yeah. So... On to our second selection, and it's one we've both tasked a keen eye on over recent weeks. A sci-fi horror short by the name of Incident at Grove Lake. Uh, this is made by Two from Claw, aka Dan McGraw. And that name may be familiar to dedicated Horror Bites listeners, because Dan was behind one of our favourite Horror Bites of 2022, Our Lady of Sorrow. Um, that game was set in a cursed abbey in Ireland, but this time we are heading stateside to delve into an alien conspiracy. Now, yes, this takes on a similar approach to Our Lady of Sorrow in that, you know, it's found footage. Um, there's more of a story around it about someone giving that tape over to someone else to sort of expose what's being hidden by the government and all this sort of stuff. So really digging into that conspiracy stuff. And again, set in 1997, so very much, like I said, with the last game, keeping that feeling of the things that were popular around the time and how people were about it 
Um, I think Fire in the Sky is the other thing that comes to mind when I think of this game as much as the X-Files, um, especially sure. in the latter half. Um, so yeah, there's a really cool way this starts, you know, where there's some actual, you know, shots you don't control. You know, it's, an, it's shot you know, cinematically, if you will, um, several times before you take control. And I like that. That was a real jump up from Our Lady of Sorrow in terms of the sort of storytelling uh, outside of the video itself. And the video itself is basically, you, know, you go through the whole motions, you get it into your apartment, take, get the tape, put it in a VCR, and it plays and you play through that uh, section of things. But before that, there's some really good atmosphere building and world building even where you have this you know, talk radio station on the background, which is for obviously for conspiracy theorists and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I found myself actually just sat there listening to what was going on because they really nailed it. You know, the, 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 um, the speech they got going on there just really does sound like the way a radio presenter of such a show goes back and forth with a little, you know, chiming in when they're saying something with a little observation. And yeah, I, I like that about it so much. I was really invested in this world and found, yeah, I know the point at that point was like, put the tape in to get to the tape bit, but you know, it was great that it just had that as an option. Felt like an indulgence and a really nice one to have. Uh, and just, like I said, for this developer, it felt like a real step up in terms of sort of showcasing their talents, you know, in terms of um, going beyond just the found footage stuff and uh, really building it into a world outside of that footage itself. When you get to the footage, you know, it is done in that sort of, you know, cutaway way where, you know, it, there's interference sometimes and you'll skip a few beats ahead or to another bit. And, you know, it's very simple in terms of what it's doing. It's literally just walking down a few paths, but it's done in a way that is really atmospheric, you know, really getting the point across. The cuts are done at a great time. The interference with the video it really fits in with what's going on as well um again just a real push up from what we saw before you know which is saying something you know with that game and yeah the ending comes around and everything you've been told up to that point kind of leads you to believe it will be like that and two endings i suppose really the end of the tape and the end of the story being told outside that tape and in both cases i think they're, they're really strong really well told again that fire in the sky stuff really comes through in the, in the ending of the tape and yeah then the real world stuff has more than an air of that x-files stuff for sure um though i did think for a minute it was going to be a bit of a joke uh based on men in black just because of the way <laughs> <laughs> are they gonna are they, are they no and it, it wasn't that um but yeah this was everything I hoped it would be. And, you know, I think this is probably one of my favourite things I've played this year in general. I think the sci-fi vibe of it anyway, we, we so rarely get sci-fi horror work really well. Um, I think it's, um, the other game this week in sci-fi world is uh, the Grey Hill Incident, whatever it's called. And the reviews have not been kind for that one. Um, so I was very much surprised to find out, you know, at the same week, I think for the first time either, that we have found something in the smaller space that really gets the point of what it's doing you know, much better and um, makes its point in, what, 15 to 20 minutes? No problem. You know, perfect length, tells its story, does a bit of world building, gets out the door, 
leads to standing ovation, as I would I would say anyway. So yeah, I mean, I assume you felt fairly similar on this one. Oh my god, did I love this? I played it twice. I played it just before we ended up uh, recording, just so that way I would you know get to let it kind of sink in overnight and then dive right back into it. And what I'll start by saying is that this has less gameplay than the previous game, right? And, yes. you know, while some people might hear that and be like, oh, it's more like a movie. No, no, no. That is to the complete credit of this experience in allowing uh, McGraw to, you know, really hone that cinematic quality, which I think is yes. so incredibly strong here. But to your point, you know, that lends itself also to the world building and whatnot, the multiple perspectives, right? I think that from the outset, you have this security cam footage, which shows you, you know, somebody leaving the base, Area 51, and then, you know, it cuts again to this other type of surveillance footage of somebody having a conversation in a phone booth. And then it cuts in real time to somebody's perspective when they're yeah. walking to this diner to, you know, have this meeting to get these tapes and to find out, you know, what Area 51 is holding in terms of their secrets and everything. And, you know, the jumping between perspectives it sounds like one of these things that people are like, well, yeah, that's how, you know, people tell stories and whatnot. But when you talk about an experience that's so short from a developer that, you know, has a limited amount of time, has a limited amount of budget and whatnot, and to not miss a beat in terms of the storytelling and having it, you know, the last game we just talked about, um, it was a great, it was a fun experience, but like the story didn't make much sense at times. You can see how easily you can try to tell a story, specifically if you try to tell it far more creatively or in a creative means than just simply spelling everything out for the player. You see how easy it can be to kind of get debased and all of a sudden there's this glaring omission or the transition was confusing. And that's not the issue. That's never an issue with uh, Incident in a Grove Lake. You know, the changing of those different perspectives and then a quality that you can actually see improved upon or maybe just expanded upon from the previous one of Our Lady Sorrow was the warnings that come up before you actually watch the VHS tape, which was, I believe, how that previous game began. There was something like yeah. you're watching this tape and there's this warning that like you should consult the Catholic Church or something along those lines for exorcisms. So there's yes. some some kind of disclaimer like that. And Incident in a Grove Lake has one similarly, but it's done so in a way that they've established the world already and then they mm. introduce that. So you already know the stakes of what's going on. And then to have that, I think it's even a lengthier portion, right? Because it's breaking down the different types of UFO encounters. It's classifying them in levels of intensity or, um, I suppose, le levels of danger that the person mm. seeing the UFOs and whatnot might find themselves in. And, you know, to have that be a more drawn out portion before actually watching the encounter with the aliens, I found, did a great job of building tension. I was yeah. so anxious about, you know, what I was about to see unfold on the tape after reading the various levels of intensity of alien encounters and whatnot. Um, and I think that it doesn't even end up being classified as the most extreme one, which then sort of like almost pulls the rug out from under you in terms of what is revealed yeah. about that alien encounter. And, mm -hmm. you know, it actually does something that uh, a game that we covered early in Horror Bites started to do, which was that Maple County game, which was that yes. police uh, recognition sort of test thing that then you put that's in a it. tape and you get to live out a moment of somebody that's had one of these supernatural encounters. And Incident mm -hmm. in Grove Lake does that, I think, really beautifully because it does Absolutely. not only putting the player in the shoes of a subject that's viewing this alien abduction or, you know, the person being abducted, but then it 
plays around with perspective to give you that cinematic quality that never gets lost. Um, and I would say that the ending of this, without going into too much detail, you get to like explore the inside of a ship, and it feels a little influenced by Nope, which was something that yeah. I really loved, that sort of organic nature. Um, yes. But it probably has alien experimentation going on with the human that uh, I would say rivals like Fire in the Sky, because it was mm-hmm. so incredibly mm-hmm. unnerving, and it was just as, as unnerving the second time around when I was replaying it uh, before we were doing this. Yeah, I think you know, ultimately the, the true end of this game is a phone call into that same radio station which I think is even better if you have just sat and listened to the radio station in any degree beforehand um wow yeah again the voice acting in this is of a really top rate you know where it's used it's utilized really well you know and that final call and the panic and hurriedness you know of it all just is sold really well yeah i'm like very very well and you were saying about you know the changes in perspective and how in that i think one of the small things to appreciate here is even within like the found footage actually having moments of the camera being away from the person who's normally holding it like or just behind them where the the guy who's recording the stuff is just sat at his camp the camera's behind him Surprising we don't get many of those moments normally, but um, in these games. So, yeah, that it was again, it felt like you know, if Our Lady of Sorrow was a game that was really getting to grips with the, the finer details of you know, found footage and how to make it into a game that feels like it's actually a found footage thing, this just goes beyond uh, you know in so many ways it, it really just takes that and just says, well now that's just a small part you know and now now we're going to build around that and uh add a whole story outside of it and i was really here for it. i mean that's really refreshing i know, I know we've had games that do the, the you know here's the tape put it in blah 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 and whatever but yeah i, I think it's a uh, quite remarkable what's been done here and um you know if our Lady of Sorrow was one of 2022's faves, then uh, I'd say this has a very good chance of being up there for this year too. So, you know, it's um, well worth your time, absolutely, uh, if, if you get out there and play that. So, yeah, that, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back with more indie horror highlights next week. But in the meantime, if you are a developer of an indie horror game, demo, concept, or game jam uh, entry, we'd uh, love to hear from you. So you can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter or SaferInPod at gmail.com for email if you'd like to be highlighted or interviewed on the show. Uh, or you can head to the DMs of HorrorBytes underscore SR Twitter if you'd like to be promoted there in any other sort of way. Um, that does us. And uh, we, as ever, say... Keep on searching for those little bites of horror, and we shall see you again next week.